0: Welcome to the old school meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, which features speakers with long-term abstinence. We will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to OALAIG.org for login information. And now, our speaker. It's now time for me to share what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now, including how and why I stay abstinent today. So um, I've been thinking a lot of, about this because there's so much to say, and I don't know where to start So or how to get everything in that I wish I could say. Um, but I, I guess I want to start with the fact that I know I'm a compulsive overeater. I'll always be a compulsive overeater, and that's the way it is. And... I have nothing I can do about it except be abstinent and work the 12 steps um, and be of service. And like I said, I really wish it were different. I would lie if I said I'm so grateful I'm a compulsive overeater and um, thank God I'm a compulsive overeater. <laughs> I have to tell you, I don't. I thank God that I have a way to live as a compulsive overeater and be happy. Um and so I am someone who's been an overeater since I was a little, little girl. I was an obese child starting at the age of three or four. And it's relevant because my physical self is very much tied in with being a compulsive overeater. Like I, like my body was like a prison. And I was trapped in it. And only if I could get out of this body, I could be free. And my dream was to get out of this body. And only if I could only have that girl's body or that girl's body, I could be free. And I hated myself because I couldn't get out. And I wanted to be somebody else. That was a big part of growing up is um in my personality to be a chameleon because if i i thought if i ate like you ate like you like my mom i could be thin like my mom or if i did what you did i could look like you and get out of me so i i thought if there was some magic i could do about eating the right thing or being the right person i would be free um And I grew up being told, as an obese little girl, that I had big bones and I was meant to be overweight. And that was what my future was going to be. And little boys didn't like fat little girls, or it wasn't men don't like fat women because I was so young. But basically, there was this hopelessness that I grew up with, that I was fat and ugly and I would be alone and not find love in my life. And I have a skin disorder, and I had one that also made me repulsive, I felt. So my binging, which I didn't know that's what it was called, by the way. All I know is I was on a diet all my life, and I I truly mean that, that I was always needing to keep food charts. I was weighed and measured as a little girl. I was given diet pills. At the age of seven um before i could swallow um pills and they were mixed in grape juice you know stirred around wilkes's grape juice and i had to drink it and that was the way it was back then in los angeles you know other parts of the country it might not be it, the diet doctors were the way it was and i grew up with my mother always trying to help me you know there, i had a lot of love Um, but there was also real sickness in my family regarding love and who got, who got, um, there was like a a three ring circus in my family. Um, and one person would always be at war with another person. And if I was like given something like it's a beast little girl, my grandma gave me a little fur cape. And I thought I was, I mean, it made me feel so beautiful. And my other grandmother told my mother I had to give it back, have it returned because I shouldn't have it. And that was like, it made me feel so pretty. And yet I couldn't have it. I, or it had to be taken away. Um, and I don't know why that's relevant, but I remember that little fur cape a lot because clothes didn't fit me, but the cape, you know, was so beautiful. Um, so as I grew up, I developed having a really good smile as a way to protect myself and I also was a teacher's pet and um, it really made me feel safe to be able to wipe blackboards you know run to the office I even worked in the in the school office when I was like in the fourth grade so um, so that was all a way to protect myself um, and I don't I don't know how I got safe except I did the best I could and I ate. And so while I'd be on diets, whatever I was being told I had to do, going to the doctor or whatever, um, I would do it. But I was still, um, I guess, how do I say, I was still inside. I felt hopeless. I tried to do what I was told to do. And I still was overweight. I still had my problems. So no matter what I did, I was powerless over it. And in my recovery, I do look at my life with decades. I look at like, that was the first 10 years of my life I talked to you guys about. The second 10 years of my life um, was even more so trying to copy other people, other pretty girls and try to do what they did or smoking cigarettes or drinking, like, was there a magic potion I could be thin? If I was a party girl, could I be thin? i getting straight A's, could I be thin? I mean, it was always like getting approval, but being thin was a big part of it. And I hate to admit that, but it was, again, um, I couldn't be the best person, the best student, so was there some other way to get safe i couldn't be the best this or the best that i was always going to have curly hair and i couldn't have pretty long hair and straight hair and that was part of being trapped you know as well so um as i as i got older i didn't i did things to try to beat them and as i keep saying this is a huge theme, that I developed really severe depression. And that depression started when I was a young teenager and I was suicidal by the time I was in high school, um, uh, senior in high school, junior, senior in high school. And over the years, I didn't stay obese. I lost weight, gained weight, lost weight, gained weight. And I think... I never was thin, but I think it's because I never got to be, um, obese as an adult because of not feeling good about myself. And what I mean by that is I was taken to doctors. I was helped by my family so much to try to keep me from being obese. And that, and so one of my gratitudes is I didn't have to be obese. You know, I, I and that was because of, of them trying to help me. As much as it was me hating myself, it did keep me from being an obese adult. And later in years in recovery, I could see that was something to be grateful for, not to hate them for what I was like, but to actually be grateful that they helped me not be worse. You know, they, they helped me. Um, and, um, And, and, and my family did the best they could. So, um, I don't want to spend too much time on my teens except to say I was really suicidal. Um, I had, um, I had, I was a good student still and all that, but, um, when my eating got worse, and I didn't know the eating was called binging, by the way. So I went to my first OA meeting when I was 18. So this is what happened. Um, I had heard about, I thought there was Alcoholics Anonymous, so maybe there was something like that for food. I found out later I had heard about OA. I remembered when I was 13, but being a little smarty pants, I was, I thought, well, you don't pay for it, so it can't work. And so I went to a program I could pay for, you know, when I was a young teenager, um, But when I went to OA and someone read the uh, how it works, I realized that I wanted – like, I thought, oh, my God, where am I? Get me out of here. I'm in the twilight zone. And I was terrified. um, But I stayed. And someone was at the literature table because back then there were two-hour meetings and there was a break in the middle. And um, Linda, who was my first sponsor, she was at the table – and she gave me her phone number, and she took my phone number. And I bought all the literature, and I went home, and I had, I think, half a grapefruit and cottage cheese or whatever, you know, like I'm on a diet. And um, I remember wanting to binge on my, like, the third day, and Linda called me and said, how are you? And I said, I want to. I want to binge. And she said, well, how about you go to bed? And it was 730. And I never knew that concept of the day can end. And so that was when the beginning of the living for 24 hours, like there's a a morning and a night and a day can end. And she told me to go brush my teeth and go to bed. And to this day, I remember that and I know I can go to bed and I can get a new day, and if I stay abstinent today and I go to sleep, I get to thank you, God, please wake up abstinent tomorrow. And I may feel totally different if today's a bad day and I wanna, um, you know, I just am, don't feel well or whatever it is, because um, I can not feel well with the condition I have, I know I get a new day tomorrow. And then the other thing that I learned is how I feel in the morning doesn't tell me how I'm going to feel in an hour. You know, how I feel right this minute, it's that feel. it's learning this will pass, which is one of the things you just don't believe. And even to this day, sometimes you can't believe like, oh, I feel so terrible. And then you end up feeling better a little later um and i also learned that there's no guarantees that once i start a day and i feel good i may i may not i may feel badly not very well later so the concept of three meals a day comes into this where uh, my abstinence is based on three meals a day and i don't eat in between and i have a food plan um and the food plan is elastic it's like a rubber band Um, where I live within it, but it, it, um, can stretch and thank you, God, it has not broken, but I have to respect the stretching of it and I don't keep it stretched, but I have room to stay abstinent and something I was taught young, um, in recovery. And now when I talk about young, I'm going to talk about young and abstinence because I feel like my life started over again when my abstinence started. And I think that I had to regrow up in recovery. So when I got my abstinence, which was a year a year and four months after I came to OA, you know, at first I tried to be abstinent and four weeks later or three weeks later, I smoked some dope and binged. And then I got abstinent again. And three or four weeks later, I was bingeing crossing campus nonstop eating like completely out of control and i had like a nervous breakdown at my job and on a sunday night at the library at UCLA where i was working and people had to come and get me and the head of the library had to come from home and take over and that was like me just crumbling without taking away the by taking away the food i couldn't give up the food and be able to be sane. And what I found out is I ended up needing to drop out of school to start my life, to, to be able to get this abstinence. I had to, like, wipe everything clean, like, just give up what I thought was everything. I quit school. I got a little job. Um, and I tried, first I copied people in OA, but back then it was moderate mealers. And the people were more middle-aged, which at that point they probably were in their 30s. <laughs> and I was, I was not 20 yet, um, but I tried to do what they did, and um, and then I I ended up eating a piece of cake at lunch. It was Good Friday. This is back to the beginning of this abstinence in 1979. Um, it was Good Friday. It was it was. That was Good Friday, and I'm Jewish, so people who weren't Jewish got off work, and I continued to work. And I started with a piece of cake at lunch, and it led to um, nonstop binging, throwing food out the window. I um, thought if I just eat everything I want, it'll go away. You know, that was one of the experiments in in overeating days was gee i've always deprived myself i'll just why don't i try having a box of these candies i'll get the craving out of me you know and that doesn't happen um you can't eat your way out of being a compulsive overeater and i did think maybe i could eat my way when i was younger out of this disease and it doesn't work
1: three minutes
0: Um, left okay so I'm going to talk about um, now living in the program because you got the gist of, of that. And the most important thing was um, this abstinence was being willing to go to any lengths, any lengths. If my sponsor said, jump off the building, I needed to be willing to do that. Um, I hate to say that because people would say, oh, you shouldn't listen to other people. But I was desperate. And I had a sponsor who taught me um, how to eat like a lady, how to have things pretty, how to get my dreams um, come true. And, and what I mean is not that I get the magic, but that I learned how to take care of myself so I could be that person I wanted to be. And what I thought I was going to talk about today was a lot more about my physical, um, the connection with my body today, and not body image, but it's more the person I am and living in this body. I don't loathe my body. I, I have been betrayed in a way by my brain. I have epilepsy. And so um, that felt like a betrayal um, from God, like, why would you take that away from me? But what I learned, um, this happened 20 years ago in abstinence, what I learned is the humility that I cannot ride on my own self-will. And, and what I mean by that in relationship to recovery is I had a great education, um, married, children, success, career, um, good life when I was 20 years abstinent. And then I got uh, struck with epilepsy, and I really did feel like getting struck, and what it took me on is a road of humility I didn't know existed, and that was having to live with just who I was, not based on my brain, and I I still had to be a compulsive overeater, stay abstinent, um, but I had to be willing, kicking and screaming and fighting and Desperate to how to live with the way it was today or the way and it still is. And, um, I won't go into details except the program saved my life in that the concept of three meals a day works with me having to take my medicine that keeps me alive three times a day. And so I learned how to do morning to breakfast to lunch, lunch to dinner, dinner to bed. And that's how I live with my epilepsy. I take my medicine in the morning, I take my medicine in the early afternoon, I take my medicine at night. And because of recovery, I can live with my condition. Um, I think, do I have one minute left, Laura? Oh, it's time. Okay, I just, I'm just. i going to just take one more minute. Um, just to say that um, I think it's really critical that, that – I say I cannot be abstinent alone, that I I believe we have to be abstinent together. A compulsive overeater alone does not work. I can, it's like one alone, I'm too weak, but two of us, there's God or higher power. And I do live that way. I live with other recovering compulsive overeaters in my life every day. And what you do matters. You being abstinent keeps me alive. And I just wanted to um, stop with that and open it up for sharing. Thank you so much.